Morning, church. After that communion, I will be booking an appointment with uh, Jesus just for a bit of a checkup, just to see where my spiritual state is. And, and uh, while we may have a bit of humor about that, checking on our spiritual state is an important step that we need to do regularly. I had an amazing introduction to this message. It's only 11 months to Christmas. Do you realize that? I had an amazing, just incredible introduction to this message. Um, That was about four weeks ago. And uh, when Pastor asked me if I could speak today, I um, obviously accepted the invitation, despite the busy period, because I have words at various points of um, development. As I go into the Word, I might find something that, you know, rhema word that just strikes me, and so I'll write it down, and then, you know, something may develop from that as I go to the Word on a regular basis. And so for me, um, putting a Word together for today with kind of four weeks' notice is pretty ordinary, really, Um, but it's not about me. And uh, the Word that I had and that I began to develop one night I went to the Word, uh, just reading, it was nothing to do with preparation, um, and this rhema word, as God sometimes does, just smacked me between the eyes, and you all know that God's timing is perfect, that it's not about getting up here and just encouraging you necessarily or speaking something to tickle your ears, it's about what God wants to deliver to this community today. Not next week, not last week, today. The word I I had, I thought was a great word, actually, but it wasn't a word in season. And I think that that's the critical element of the message today is that it's a word in season. And so uh, after I kind of had this epiphany, I thought the next morning I'll ring Pastor Paul because there's no way I can do this at this period, starting fresh with just this one thought, this one statement from God's Word. And so the next morning I got up, convinced that I was going to ring Pastor Paul, and I opened my devotional, and I went immediately to Isaiah 55.11. And as you know, I open every time I speak with Isaiah 55.11, which says that, you know, so shall my word be that it goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me void, it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. And I thought, mm, coincidence, oh, I'll move on. <laughs> you know, I'll still ring Pastor Paul, but maybe I'll do it tomorrow. I'll just give him enough time to make sure that someone else can come up here today. And then that night, I'm reading the Word, and I get to Ezekiel. And I don't know if you've read Ezekiel. Um, I avoid it like the plague, really, um, because... Ezekiel demands so much of us. God demanded of Ezekiel, but the same applies to us. And it's a call for us to stand up and to speak out. And that was exactly what the Lord had put on my heart the day before. And so over the last three weeks, three and a half weeks, um, the word has been a battle. Um, Putting this together has been a battle. It's been a battle in the spiritual It's been a battle in the physical. It's been a battle at every level because I don't think that the enemy wants you to hear this word. 
And so today I come to you in victory. I come to you standing on the word of God and knowing that God has a word not just for me. This is, this is a word I believe in season for someone or everyone in this, in this facility today. So with that introduction, sounds a bit somber, doesn't it? It's not really, it's okay. <laughs> it doesn't get any better. Um, I'll just open in prayer. Heavenly Father, I just thank you that you are our provider, that you meet all of our needs, that you have the perfect plan for each and every one of us, and that your intention is to prosper us and not to harm us. Your intention is that we will be the salt and the light of the earth. Your intention is that we will be your people on earth. Thy kingdom come. And Lord, today, as, as this word goes forth, I say and I declare that your word goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return void. It shall accomplish what you please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which you sent it. In Jesus' name, amen. So church, the message today is about grace. I'm sure we've all heard the, the story of God's grace. I'm sure we've even used it to describe a situation of blessing or, or unusual benefit. You know, oh, God's grace or but for the grace of God go I. Those kinds of sayings. And I know personally that this is a foundational part of our Christian faith. Grace is foundational. It's the epitome of God's love for us, his agape love that is without equal. It is epitomized and manifested through the life of Jesus Christ. And if we come to know Jesus, or when we come to know Jesus, it's clear that he is grace. That grace is not a philosophy or a doctrine it's a person. It's a person called Jesus Christ, and it's fulfilled through the work of the Holy Spirit in each and every one of us. And I've heard numerous definitions and explanations of grace, but the one that I like is a simple one. It says, grace is undeserved, unearned, unmerited favor. We don't deserve it. We definitely don't deserve it. We all have our sin nature. We're born with it. And it continues within us as we endeavor to walk closer to Christ. More of that should come out of us. It's unearned. There's nothing we can do that can earn the favor of God. We don't get brownie points for what we do good. It's unconditional love. And it's given to us only because of God's love and our faith. And it's unmerited favor. You know, I looked up that word in the, in the Hebrew and and when you talk about unmerited favor, you're talking about complete blessing in every area of your life. And that's what God promises us in every area of our life. It's not unmerited favor in our finances. It's not unmerited favor in our health. It's not favor in our relationships. It's favor in every area of our life. And I think Pastor Pauline, in speaking about the communion, um, made that point really clearly from Psalm 103. But I go so far as to say that without, without an understanding, appreciation, or acceptance of what grace truly means, it's impossible to possess the faith that God would want us to have. It's impossible for us to have the faith necessary for him to outwork the things in our life that he wants us to do for the kingdom. 
Because that's the purpose of being a Christian, is to further and advance the kingdom of God. So Ephesians 2 and verse 8 tells us that by grace we've been saved through faith and not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And this verse sums it up. It begins with grace for our salvation. It's accessed by our faith. It's God's gift, not because of anything we can do, have done, or will do. And being grounded in this truth should ensure our humility, should protect us from a prideful, self-righteous, or pious attitude. C.S. Lewis called it the worst of all vices, pride. Now, I've heard it said that grace is a New Testament phenomenon and that John 1.14 supports this premise. John states, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. But, you know, we serve a gracious God. And Hebrews 13.8 tells us that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's always been gracious and will always be gracious. So from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, Old Testament and New, 66 books, they all point us to the incredible, amazing grace of God. You know, as a new Christian, understanding and appreciating grace was, was difficult, I've got to say. It seemed illogical and irrational. It didn't fit in with my thinking or my, my lifetime experiences. Um, and, you know, at 50-odd years of age, having lived for half a century, I kind of figured I knew everything there was to know, and everything had its place, and it was logical, and grace didn't fit into that. Grace did not fit into my logical thinking. The fact is that in my early years, grace had represented something quite completely different. In the children's home where I spent the early years of my life, grace was a simple prayer, a karakia that was said before meals. It was ritualistic, um, and it was, you know, for what we are about to receive, may the Lord make us truly thankful for Christ's sake. Amen. It was said by the matron, and then we were able to eat. So it was like an introduction to eating. As a seven or eight-year-old, I didn't really understand what grace was. It was just this thing we did before dinner. And that stayed with me all of my life. But I recall on one occasion, um, seven or eight, and we were all seated at the, uh, in the dining room, and uh, the matron wasn't in there, nor was anyone else, and so I went up and sat in her seat. And a uh, little mischievous, it didn't go away either. And um, I said my own little prayer before meal, and it went something like two, four, six, eight, bog, and don't wait, seven, eight, nine, ten, gobble, gobble, amen. And everyone thought it was hilarious, but they didn't laugh. I could see a couple of giggles. And then I realized, oh, no, she's there. <laughs> and she was there. And for the next three days, I got to say grace again, not my one, but her one. Um, and I got to say it standing at the table while everyone else ate their dinner. And I got to repeat it while they ate their dinner until the last person had finished. And then when they'd finished, I got to go to bed hungry. And that was grace. That was grace as I knew it. And so... As I pointed out, uh, grace didn't seem very logical to me when I heard it explained the way it was explained. So it took an alpha course, or two, or three, or five, or ten, I can't remember the number, um, to truly understand the grace that God wanted to impart to me in my life. But not just in my life, in the lives of my family, 
in the lives of those people I interact with, in the lives of everyone I come into contact with, I should be the light and salt. You know, the prayer of salvation is a statement of intent. It's an invitation to the Holy Spirit to begin to work in and through you, not because you've reached your destination, but because you've committed to embark on a journey. As part of our journey, we now have a library of books, DVDs, CDs, you name it, we've got it. A lot of material focus on the subject of God's grace and on the many, many aspects of it, a host of perspectives. And today I'm going to share one that's not in those books. It's one that I believe has been put on my heart for such a time as this. And I believe that God's grace is not, our, not only our ticket into his kingdom in heaven, our eternal salvation, or for some people some kind of anti-hell insurance. I believe that God's grace is a call to arms. The Oxford Dictionary defines a call to arms as a call to defend or make ready for confrontation. A call to arms to defend against a takeover. A summons to engage in active hostilities. Well, that sounds very gracious, doesn't it? Grace and a call to arms. The two terms seem almost incompatible, totally contradictory, and what our learned teacher friends in the congregation might call an oxymoron. Teaches maths and not English, so he's looking as stunned as I am. But I found the word. What I want to do today is look at the Old Testament. And I want to go to Genesis 6 and verse 8. And it's the first time the word grace is actually found in the Bible. And there's a principle of first mention. That when something is first mentioned in the Bible, it has specific significance. A greater significance perhaps than at any other time it's mentioned. And this is mentioned in the story of Noah and the flood. And it says that generally the earth was overcome by evil, immorality, and ungodly behavior. Man had forsaken God for pleasures of the flesh. The Bible tells us that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was continual evil. That sounds pretty terrible to me. To the point where Genesis 6.6 tells us that God was grieved in his heart and sorry that he made man on earth. That verse really did something in my spirit, that God could be sorry that he made man on earth. And then in verse 7, if that's not enough, God repeats it. I want to read you what he says in verse 7, because the verse says, So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. And then verse 8 tells us, and this is it. This is the scripture of the day. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. You know, meditating on, on this story, and in particular on this one scripture, I believe that God shared his heartbreak with Noah. I believe that they had the kind of relationship that when God told Noah of his plan to destroy all life on earth, that Noah provided the opportunity for God to work out his plan for mankind, to walk out his faith. You know, about the tenth time I was looking at that scripture, I realized that Noah found grace. And generally when you find something, you have to be looking for it. It doesn't say Noah stumbled upon grace in the eyes of the Lord. It says he found it. And I believe that Noah was looking 
for God's grace, for the salvation of mankind. That's what I believe. And that because of their relationship, the Bible tells us in all the earth, God could find just one man, Noah. And it's interesting, his name means rest or relief. Who was righteous and with whom he walked in close fellowship. At this point in time, Noah's 500 years old. It's not that he just became a Christian five years ago or 10 years ago. He's 500 years old. He's walked in close fellowship with God Almighty. And the reference to close fellowship can also be referred to as faith in God, trusting in Him. And after 500 years, Noah knew what Pastor Pauline told you this morning, that he is the author and finisher of our faith. Noah knew this truth. He's walked with God for 500 years. His faith in God is demonstrated in that when God called, Noah faithfully responded. No ifs, buts, or maybe it's just a commitment to trust in God and to walk out His will. And what was Noah committing to? You know, you all know the story. Noah committed to building a boat. <laughs> Doesn't that sound good? Noah committed to building a boat. In the backyard, I'll throw a, bit, a few bits of wood together and we'll... No. No, 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 no. Various estimates put the time taken to build the ark, the boat, at somewhere between 50 and 100 years. Think about it. No placemakers, no ITM, no carters, no order the timber and things turn up. No uh, skill saws, no Makita cordless. Every piece of timber hewed from a tree by the hands of a man. That man was Noah. And what about Mrs. Noah? Ladies, I've thought about you as I put this word together. Oh, honey, God just called, so I'm just going to spend a few decades, a half century or so, working on the new boat. <laughs> yep. I'll just raise the three boys while you're away. Yeah, right. We all know what that could look like, right, guys? It's bad enough saying, honey, I'm just going for a fishing trip. I'm just going out for a few hours. Ladies, let me ask you, how would you go with five, dec five decades or so of your husband working on the ark in the backyard while you raise the three boys until they're old enough to swing a mallet, and guess what? They go work in the backyard with them. Hmm. You know, last year my darling wife and I attended a marriage retreat in Rotorua, uh, an experience I highly recommend, actually. J.H. Aotearoa, look it up. One of the points made with this um, at this conference was, was really one that struck home to, to both of us, I think, but certainly for me. You know, guys, how someone can make a comment to you, uh, and it kind of slides off. It can be negative, can be, you know, kind of um, challenging, but we let it slide. But when the same comment, exactly the same comment, comes from our nearest and dearest. The first thing that happens is the hackles go up on the back of our necks. And then the blood pressure starts to rise as we realize that she did say that. She really did say that. And then our defense mechanisms, which are automatic. See, I see all the guys going, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, been there. And then our defense mechanisms switch to attack mode. And ultimately, our self-control is under threat. And we all know why 
the last of the fruits is self-control because it is the hardest to get. It is the easiest to talk about and the hardest to achieve. That's my testimony anyway. Anyone else know what I'm talking about? Or am I just talking to myself? Okay. The truth in that scenario is this, that when our hackles go up and when we start to get defensive and then maybe a little aggressive, we're demonstrating our love. You know, the comment might not mean anything coming from someone else, but when it comes from someone that you truly love, someone whose view you respect, someone whom you honor, then it has an impact. And usually our response is a negative one to that impact. So turn it upside down, and when you get a little bit of criticism next time, just say, I love you because you are so honest with me. <laughs> you think that's funny? I get, I'll just diverse for one minute. Uh, the other thing in this seminar that came out was that um, and the pre presenters are speaking about it. They said, you know how you bring your wife for something and, you know, bring home the bread or whatever, and then you say, yeah, love you. You say, yeah, love you. Bye. They said, next time you do that, next time your partner says to you, yep, love you, say, why? And then make them say, because. Because they should have a thousand reasons why they love you. And if they don't, then the heckles will go up on the back of your neck. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> oh, where was I? Oh, that's right, Noah's commitment. For many of us, committing a few hours every Sunday can be a challenge, let alone serving in one of the ministries or giving of our precious time on a regular basis for kingdom pur purpose. So the next time you're feeling stretched or under pressure or you think you've got a bit much of a workload to, you know, serve, just remember Noah. In faith, he committed to God's plan, and along with his family, were the only ones saved of everyone in the whole world. They become the foundation of the human race. Just as an aside, and, and this, is, this is how God affirmed for me his reality and his all-knowing authority. I read that the basic dimensions of the ark, that is the ratio of length to width, 450 feet by 75 feet, or 6 to 1, Alan's a mathematician, he understands that, is the most stable design for a boat known to man. And it's still used today for super tankers. It's still used today for large cargo vessels. And in those days, this was boat numero uno. And it's still used today. Testament to God's all-encompassing knowledge. One other thing I just want to impart quickly is the Hebrew word which is used in the original for the ark, which is tabah. And I found out that that word is only used one other time in all of the Bible, apart from reference to the ark. And it's in reference to the basket that was used to float Moses in the Nile. Two completely different vessels, wouldn't you say? But both with the same purpose, really. You see... In both cases, the vessel carried those who would lead the people to follow God and set them free from the ways of the world. In one case, Noah, and in the other, Moses. 
So the grace that Noah found in God's eyes presented him with the opportunity to fulfill God's plan and purpose, not just for Noah, but ultimately for all of mankind. And Noah's access to grace was solely through his close fellowship with God. Noah and his family were not just saved. I mean, God could have wiped out all the rest of the earth and just kept them anyway. It could have been done in a blink of an eye, no fuss, no flood. But in giving his grace to Noah, God called on him to serve. God called on him to do what was necessary to overcome the flood and the world at that time and to work out God's plan. For Noah, grace was a call to arms, a call to do something, a kingdom call, a call to faith. And the same is ultimately true for you and I. What's more, we now know that we can increase his grace in our lives. How? Well, look at 2 Peter verse, verse 2, chapter 1. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ our Lord. Increasing our knowledge of and our faith in God through Jesus Christ will increase both his grace and peace in our lives, and that's a promise. Peter also repeats his call to us in chapter 3, verse 18. And this time it's as a means of standing steadfast in the faith. And that's a challenge we all face every day. We confront different values, morals, standards, attitudes, beliefs all around us are challenges to our faith in Christ. Have you ever wondered how God would view the world today? Have you ever asked God how he views the way that we're living our lives? Sin, immorality, violence, the breakdown of the family, they're all prevalent, abortion, increasingly accepted as societal norms, movies, TV, the internet, increasingly glamorizing the satanic, and witchcraft is fast becoming the most common theme on television and in movies. It's desensitizing us all with every part of society, attacking our Christian-based values. Not so much openly hostile, but promoting Christianity as irrelevant, outdated, archaic, and old-fashioned, out of touch, and of little or no consequence. I read an article a while ago about the same-sex marriage debate in Australia. And the article was talking about um, the number of people that visited New Zealand same-sex couples to engage in a marriage ceremony. And the article concluded that were the bill to be passed in Australia, it would be detrimental to us because of the loss of income. That was it. The money that was being generated from that activity would be lost to our nation. We have become a nation focused on mammon. Last month, Pastor Tark told us that reference to Jesus Christ had now been removed from the parliamentary prayer. The Speaker, Trevor Mallard, has arbitrarily and without consultation changed the prayer, and that change remains current as he single-handedly moved Parliament from a Christian body, that is, one who recognized the authority of Christ in prayer, to a secular one who ignore and deny Jesus Christ. Those who govern us now no longer seek the advocacy of Jesus to the Father on their or the nation's behalf. Interestingly, the parliamentary prayer, and I use the term loosely now, it still opens with a reference to Almighty God, to El Shaddai, the one true and almighty God. As Christians, we know that the Bible tells us that we petition God in the name of Jesus Christ. John 14, verse 14 tells us that. And this is a fact that's clearly lost on Trevor Mallard and all those that support this preposterous idea. 
My point in reiterating this matter that was raised by Pastor Tark is this. By grace you have been saved for what? Your salvation? Sure. What else? Why? What's God's purpose in imparting to you his unconditional love, his grace in every area of your life? What's his purpose? I think the Bible says we are to be the salt and light. And in 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 13, Paul writes, Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, and be strong. And remember Ephesians 6.11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the enemy. Three times we're told to stand against the enemy, principalities, powers, and the enemy's fiery darts. Church, the situation has never been more dire. Our nation is increasingly rejecting the gospel message. And worse, the salt is being diluted and the light dimmed within congregations. Within our Christian faith, People are willing to compromise those things of God for their own purposes. Edmund Burke is quoted as saying, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. So today I implore you, good men, good women, do something. Something simple. A stand against evil in the attack on our Christian faith against the blatant attempt to marginalize and minimize the name of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, to move, up, to move us ever closer to secularism. Church, let's make a stand. Every single one of us can do this. It's not difficult. We can do something. Email the speaker. Trevor.mallard at parliament.govt.nz. Express your disapproval personally of his decision and action. Do something. Email Calvin Davis. Email Jacinda O'Hearn. Bill English. Email everyone you can get on a list because it's simple. It's their first name, dot their last name, at parliament.nz, .govt.nz. And when I ask you to do that, I'm also going to ask you to stand that we can pray for them. Let's stand. Heavenly Father, we know that you tell us that leadership is a, a burden and that our leaders will be judged more severely than, than we, the ordinary lay people. Lord, at this time, it's imperative that our leaders have the wisdom of Christ. It's imperative that our nation is led by those who have the wisdom of God within them. It's imperative that the Holy Spirit touches the hearts, the minds, of every single one of those people who hold office as parliamentarians. But more than that, Lord, through all of the nation, through all of the leadership that exists, whether it's in offices, in the corporate, whether it's in government departments, wherever it might be, those who hold authority, Lord, we ask that they exercise that in your wisdom and for your will. We ask it in the precious blood and the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. We can sit. You know, I, I believe that prayer is the solid foundation of our faith. Pastor Paul talked about it. But I believe that this year, 2018, God is saying that this is the year of prayer. 
This is when the Holy Spirit will reach out and touch the hearts and minds of this nation. But we have to have faith in that. We have to stand in that. We have to petition God on every opportunity, all of the time, and let him hear our cry for help. You know, Noah walked in close fellowship with God. God poured out his heart to Noah and said, I'm going to destroy the earth. And Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I believe that we can find the same grace in the eyes of the same Lord. We just need the same petition. You know, and and when we're talking to God, we need to be listening to God. We need to be in close fellowship, not some kind of multi-choice options for God. You know, God, these are the things that are facing me, and there's these three options. Which one should I take, A, B, or C? Just let your heart be open to the ways of the Lord, because A, B, and C might not be the one that God wants you to take. Don't limit God's ability to do His work in your life. You know, I recently watched a program, John Bevere, um, on Shine, and, and he was highlighting the fact that as the word moved further from Christ, we should expect to be increasingly ostracized and even persecuted. Expect to be, uh, we should be considered bigoted, scorned, accused of these things, rejected, suffer increased hostility and rejection, belittled and dismissed. That's what should happen to us. If we weren't, he suggested, we were being overcome and succumbing to the world, being accepted because we conformed to the world's normality. Romans 12 and verse 2 tells us, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know, I'd rather suffer the rejection and hostility of man than the anger of God. I'd love to see a smile on God's face as Solomon did when when he asked for wisdom. Of all the things in the world, Solomon asked for wisdom and brought a smile to God's face. Can you imagine standing before God and hearing him say, I gave you grace. I gave you my only son who was tortured, beaten, and crucified. He was made to suffer terribly for the payment of your sins, personally, just you. And then I sent to you the Holy Spirit to empower and lead you. And even then, in the time of need, you failed to stand in my name. I don't want to hear that. I'm sure you don't want to hear that. And it's not about some raging battle. It's not some rampant plan to attack all and sundry who criticize our Christian faith. Let me clarify grace as a call to arms. It's a call to defend biblical truth. It's a call to defend the good news and the promotion of morality, honesty, integrity, and values-based relationships, to refuse to accept what is unacceptable to God, to fulfill the word of Jesus in Matthew 5, to be the salt and light of the earth, adding flavor to our world and standing as a beacon in the increasing darkness. Then when we are persecuted, 12.14 calls for us to bless those who persecute you. Don't persecute them. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. That's what we're called to do. And that's why we enjoy the grace of God. So as the worship team come, I'll just wrap this up with a special message for parents and grandparents. You know, the story of Noah is a story of a lineage 
that had had fellowship with Christ. The story of someone who walked with God for 500 years and when it came to the crunch, stood and then worked the rest of his life to fulfill God's plan and purpose for it. Parents and grandparents, my special message to you this morning is from that story. And it's another salient and important reminder that God's grace in our lives has a generational purpose and a generational outcome. We remember Noah for his fellowship with God. We remember Noah for his servant heart and obedience to God's will, no matter the cost or sacrifice. But remember this. Noah was the great-grandson of Enoch, who Genesis 5 and 23 tells us lived for 365 years walking in close fellowship with God before he disappeared from the earth, before God took him. Enoch, one of two people in the Bible who never died, never suffered death. Enoch was taken by God because of his faithfulness, because he'd walked with God his whole life. Enoch's legacy lived on, and it was realized in the life of Noah, a generational spiritual legacy of fellowship with God. I have no doubt that Noah had heard of his great-grandfather being taken by God. Such an event. How could it not be passed down from generation to generation? No death, a miraculous supernatural act of God as a result of Enoch's faith and fellowship. The same opportunity exists for us today as parents and grandparents. What will your spiritual legacy be? What will your children, grandchildren, and even great-grandchildren know of your relationship with God? You might not have 365 years, but use what time you have wisely. Colossians 3 and verse 17 says, Whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks through him to God the Father. You know, we're saved by grace to be walking in faith, to do something, to advance the kingdom of heaven. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's all stand. Heavenly Father, I just thank you this morning that that you're willing to challenge us, that your word is for all of those things, for all of those purposes, to encourage, to strengthen, to challenge, to edify, to correct, to reprove. And Lord, this morning, as we stand together in unity, I just want to remember that We're called for a purpose. Every single person is called for a purpose. And that the first step on that journey of the purpose, the first step in honoring your will in our lives is to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, to acknowledge him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, to declare that he was raised from death, that he paid the price for our sins, that he sits at the right hand of the Father, and that He is our eternal counselor, our advocate to the Father, that we are washed by His blood and made righteous in the sight of God. This morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ, if you don't have a relationship with Him, or perhaps you want to renew a relationship, perhaps you've let it slide, you've fallen away a little, you've succumbed to the pressures and the things of the world, then this morning I invite you, I invite you to 
could have a relationship with this all-powerful Savior, with Jesus Christ, who gave his life for you. If you'd been the only person on earth, he would have gone to the cross to pay the price for your sin, just as he paid the price for mine. So this morning, I invite you, if you... If you don't know Jesus, now's the time. Today is the day of salvation. I invite you to come forward. Just raise your hand. Let me see it. I'm sure our pastors, our leaders would love to pray with you. And also this morning, we open in prayer. I don't want to close that way with the altar open. So no matter what your needs are today, and we all have needs, no matter what they are, I invite you to bring them to God. Pastor Paul said earlier, there's, a, there's something about stepping out in faith. Yes, God can answer your prayer right where you are, in your closet, in your bedroom, at home, in your car, at work. It doesn't matter where. But when you step out, when you take that step of faith, and when you come to what is essentially the altar of God, then He knows that you're serious about what it is that you need help for. And I can tell you that His heart is only to meet your need, whatever that need is, financial, physical, health, relationship, something that's not the way God would intend it to be. Now is that time. So I invite you to come forward, take up the altar if you need prayer at all. Heavenly Father, we dedicate this time to you. We dedicate this altar time for you for prayer. We call on every person in this fellowship to be moved by the Holy Spirit in meeting their prayer needs. We thank you, Lord, that you are the all-conquering God who meets every need that we have. And we thank you, Lord, for this day in Jesus' name.